She's not dead and look at us go Watching pitch perfect Twilight is torn, man, weekend is gone Watching her love rules that went by that you don't know And I can't drink her This is her time, away we go Welcome back to our latest episode of Kicking It with Kendrick. I am joined once again by my co-host Jeff. Jeff, what's up? Hey, hey, hey. Very happy to be back here with another year of Anna Kendrick movies. We watched 18 last year, and we're going to watch at least 18 this year, I'm sure. I'm just not 100% sure of the exact number, but if it's not 18, it's going to be more. Yeah, lots of there's lots of Anna Kendrick movies out there. And I guess there will continue to be as she has shown no signs of slowing down, I guess. See, you say she's shown no signs of slowing down, but like she's not in that many movies each year. 2021, she was only in one. Currently on her Wikipedia, she's only announced to be in one more coming up. Although she's also definitely going to be in Trolls 3 when that happens. We just don't have a release date yet, as far as I know. She's actually been a little more involved in TV the last couple of years. Oh, really? I, I actually yeah. don't know what show she's been in. Uh, she was in a movie. She, so she's been on a lot, of, um, a lot of web series or like streaming platform shows. So she was originally in a show with Zac Efron called Human Discoveries, which is from the same studio that did BoJack Horseman. She did that for Facebook Watch, I think. Oh. Then she was in a movie, originally a movie, but then it was cut down into 10 episodes because that's how Quibi worked, called Dummy, which I've heard is really funny. I uh, have not seen it yet, though. And then she was the lead on a show that came out last year called Love Life. And she's still in that, but as a recurring character right now. Love Life. Okay. And that is for HBO Max or Crave in oh, Canada. That makes sense. I mean, we, we have seen a such a surge in, uh, I guess, movie actors just taking up TV roles pretty casually now, actually. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that she is starting to transition, transition and maybe she'll see some, I don't know, Emmy wins or something. Is that, is that what they do for TV? Yeah, yeah. That would be cool. That that would be cool. I mean, I certainly hope she doesn't stop doing movies, and I doubt she will. But, like, you know, she's she's splitting up her time, which is good. I yeah. guess. I think it's good. I haven't seen Love Life yet. I will watch that and report back as soon as I've seen it. Maybe we'll do an episode on it in the distant future. That'd be cool. Um, but in the meantime, we have... What is the movie today? It's called... So... This is from pretty early in her career. This is from the big year of 2009. And this and our next movie are going to be from that big year that also included the second Twilight movie and elsewhere. This movie is The Mark Peace Experience. On Wikipedia, it's listed as her fifth movie ever. 
And I may have jumped the gun a little bit last time when I said this is Anna Kendrick in a starring role. She is still very much supporting in this one. Yeah, I uh, I was surprised how I thought she would be very much like a co-lead, but she honestly kind of disappears for relative, like not disappears, but I guess I, I feel like her plot line is kind of pushed back into uh, kind of, it almost felt like filler in some ways, more of a plot device, if anything. I think she might be second build, but she's like, she gets the third most screen time behind Ben Stiller. This is really a Ben Stiller movie, kind of, and I was a little surprised at that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this movie was really small. I, I did a little research. It sounds like it was only released in ten theaters total. Wow! Because it sounded like Ben Stiller did not like the movie, and he basically negotiated with whoever was releasing it to, to not release it or to release it as little as legally possible to protect his reputation. So, you know, he was not proud of this movie. <laughs> At least that that's it. I read that in one article. I don't know, like, how true how, how true that is, because I, I, I could find very little about this movie. But it, it was released very, like, it, it was, it, we know it was released very locally or in very few cities. So that's one theory. The other theory is that it came out around the time of the writer's strike. So the, the, the movie might have been kind of thrown to the side because they couldn't maybe finish it as well as they'd like because of the writer's strike. I don't know. Uh, I'm just seeing there is some, they definitely weren't able to do certain extra scenes that they had planned because of the writer's strike. So like if there were going to be massive reshoots on this movie or something, they didn't happen because the writer's strike did impact this movie. I don't know by how much. Yeah, well, I mean, either way, I guess I can kind of understand where Ben Stiller was coming from when I was watching this movie. I think I was I was kind of surprised. Like, first of all, I was surprised he was in the in the movie that much. I thought I thought it would be more like a um, like a cameo or something. If I was going to be honest, so like a really short role just to maybe boost the numbers, but he wasn't actually involved in it that much. But he like you like you said, he was basically like I guess he was like the man main antagonist slash like the second person with the second most screen time. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, it just, it just felt like a very non Ben Stiller role too. So I don't know, especially for the time. Earlier you, you said that like he didn't want this released. So to protect his reputation and like, I get it, but also I thought he was the standout of the movie, which I guess we'll talk about in, in a little bit. Um, the first thing before we get to, involved in um the minutiae of this movie what is this movie about pierre it's about a guy named mark pease as you can tell by the title and it's i guess it opens with him freaking out and running out of his high school play i guess part of his like he was graduating and he was one of the tin he was the tin man in the wizard of oz that was the play they're doing the whiz specifically which is interesting because like i'll come back to that i have a real issue with that part of the movie being the way it is okay cool i actually don't know who the whiz was i I was very confused the whole time because i've never actually i don't think i've actually seen the wizard of oz but yeah anyway so he runs out and then we it fast forwards to eight years later where he is a limo driver slash wannabe acapella star who is ironically dating Anna Kendrick, <laughs> who, who is a, a grad, or no, not grad student. She's she's a senior in high school. 
and is a student or is an aspiring singer and a student of Ben Stiller's character, who is Mr. Gibble, Gibble, something like that. I think that's correct. Yeah. And John, John Gribble. John Gribble, Mr. Gribble. And I guess it follows sort of Anna Kendrick's story of finding her finding her self-confidence i guess and then but what oh what's the what's the guy's name i can't believe oh mark pisa's i i actually forgot that yeah mark pisa's journey of i guess trying to become an acapella star at any cost basically yeah and like the closest thing this movie has to like a message or something it's trying to say is the fact that John Gribble, played by Ben Stiller, he's not really nice, but he like doesn't like seem to like confrontation. So he just like says whatever he needs to to appease students. And Mark Peace took one word of acknowledgement that John Gribble said to him like years ago so much to heart that he ruined his life because his principal like thought he had talent or said he did or something. Yeah, that's basically it. It takes a, the movie takes like a very small moment. And I guess, I guess it's called the Mark Pease experience because it's like from his experience, it, it turned into a whole, that one moment at the start of the movie turned into like eight years slash the length of this movie to, I guess, get over that or some or like kind of mm-hmm. find himself after what he heard from Mr. Gribble. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, what did you think, Jeff? I thought this movie was pretty good for like a Comedy Central plays at 1 p.m. in the background type of movie. It's something you're not watching, basically. Basically. (laughs) I, I was surprised at how little this movie had to say and also like how well it nailed the tone of like mid 2000s like slapstick comedies without being actually funny yeah this was definitely like uh going into it i really felt like because like i mean just like the the title the mark Pease experience i i think going into it I was, I was expecting kind of like a ferris bueller's day off type of vibe where maybe like uh n- maybe not necessarily in terms of themes but i was thinking like oh the main this this main character mark Pease is going to be very charismatic very different, very, you know, commanding of the screen, basically, and it'll be about him, but, and it was, the movie was about him, but the character Mark Pease, there's nothing really special about him, he's just kind of a burnout, you know, and not even in, like, a funny way, it's just kind of awkward to watch. It's like someone saw good movies about burnouts, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I don't know, Pineapple Express, whatever, saw those movies and was like, I also want to make a movie about a burnout and made this, except didn't understand why the other movies I mentioned are good. Yeah, and that, well, the other movies were funny. <laughs> well, that's of, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, it, I, it, it just took a lot of, I mean, I don't, I, I, I couldn't really tell you who Mark Pease is, honestly. Like, I, I guess he's like a, uh, the only thing I could tell you about his character is that he is kind of stuck in his childhood, I guess, which would explain why he's dating, you know, a high schooler when he's, I think, supposed to be 26, I, I think, at this point, eight years later. Right? Probably, yeah. And he's obsessed with acapella, 
and thinks he can be an acapella star with his crew but it, it's not like I, I feel like there was a way they could have made it funny but there's just multiple factors going like the script wasn't good i don't think jason schwartz jason schwartzman really carries any kind of screen presence and a lot of moments that could have been funny were just really cringy and not in a good way cringy just kind of like why am i watching this you know I think the absolute weakest part of this movie is everything related to the writing, like the script, the story, basically the concept of the movie. Because like, I think this movie really wastes Jason Schwartzman because I don't know that I would say I love Jason Schwartzman in a lot of things, but like he is perfectly cast for this role. Like he should be a great person to have play a burnout that peaked in high school and didn't really peak hard either that's a perfect role that jason schwartzman definitely has in him to nail hard but he didn't do it in this movie and i don't think it's entirely his fault like i didn't love him in this movie either but i think the biggest fault with his character is not him specifically that's oh well, yeah it was definitely in the script 100 percent. yeah I just don't think he like I guess added anything. Not I no. don't know what he could have added, but that wasn't there. I mean, I guess well, there. I guess just being like a more. I I don't think he could bring anything extra to it. So in that way, I think it might have been miscasted. But I think with a better script, it would have been maybe better for him. If that makes sense. Meanwhile, I don't know how Ben Stiller was written, but like the fact that Ben Stiller was playing the character of John Gribble is like. Almost the only reason I would ever recommend watching this movie. He's really good in it, I thought. Yeah, uh, he was all right. I just, I didn't like his character. I mean, I, you're not no, supposed his, to like his character. his character was pretty despicable, but... Yeah, well, I kind of get the... The only part of the movie I kind of liked was the whole, oh, are you, like, are you really talented? Are, are the people... Are your mentors just lying to you to be nice, you know? I thought that was kind mm-hmm. of interesting to play with, but I, I just thought, like, a lot of the character itself was just like, he wasn't fun to watch. He was just really annoying and not in like a good way. I just like, I never got into it. I feel like a lot of his scenes were supposed to be comedic, but I never really laughed at any of them. I guess his arc is just kind of ill-defined. I don't really know what to take from it. Yeah. Um, Especially the whole, I don't know, the whole, the whole thing with Anna Kendrick's character was just weird to me. It felt like both, like, the main conflict of the movie, but then also, like, completely, like, forgotten. Yeah, that's the weirdest part, is everything that this movie wants us to care about feels weirdly irrelevant. Yeah, like, okay, so basically, well, are we doing spoilers? Does it matter? No one's gonna watch this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so, yeah, basically, Mr. Gribble's, Ben Stiller's character is... I I guess it's never... It seems like he had... He had sex with Anna Kendrick's character, um, even though he's her teacher and, you know, he's also like 30 years older than her or whatever. So, and also she's dating Mark Pease, Jason Schwartzman. So Jason Schwartzman finds out through like, he was cleaning her room and he found a vocal tape of them having sex, I guess. Um, Which by the way, the vocal tape, there were parts of it where I think there was supposed to, the sex was supposed to be funny, but again, it just felt really odd and, awkward as a joke if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, we had ben stiller making very squeamish noises but anyway so so yeah so then 
uh, I guess the main conflict is that Mark Pease wants the help of Mr. Gribbles to become an acapella star, but then he found out that Mr. Gribbles was having sex with his girlfriend, I guess, in high school. And also that Mr. Gribble doesn't like him. Well, that too, yeah. <laughs> that didn't help yeah. either. And I, I don't know, I just, like, I guess that, I, I feel like that's never really addressed because it, it's weird that Mark Pease confronts Ben Stiller's, or Mr. Gribbles later in the movie, and then he doesn't really talk about the fact that he had the tape until he gets rejected for the acapella thing. And that just made me confused about his character because, like, what does he care... Does he still really care about the acapella thing? Like, seriously? And he's mm-hmm. like, and and he only cared about, he did not care at all about him having sex with his girlfriend. I don't know. I thought that was like very, like weird. It, it's just weird how they brought it up and it felt like a very main plot point. And then it was just kind of brought up as like an afterthought later. I think it's kind of like emblematic of most of the quote unquote themes in this movie. Cause like they bring up, Anna Kendrick may be having an affair with the principal, but it doesn't matter until that one scene. And even then it's used in service of something else that doesn't matter. And like Jason Schwartzman wants to become an acapella star, but like it never feels like the movie's about that. And they're doing a production of the whiz, which like that is it did they just pick a random production because the whiz is a pretty crazy random production to pick but they never address that at all it's just i don't know what this movie is trying to say with anything it does because nothing feels relevant for any real reason yeah honestly like that i can't even top that you're right i i was just the whole time i'm watching the movie i'm just kind of like why where is this going why do i care about this is is this going to resolve in anything later? And none of it really does resolve with anything. You know, like all the character arcs just kind of end and there's no real resolution to them. Mm. That last scene really ticked me off where they kind of, they flash forward to one year later where I think he has a one man show or something in New York or some somewhere, some big city. I don't know where it was. And it didn't really, like the movie never really explains or or gave us any reason to think that he would get his own show or even like care that he would get his own show if that makes sense or even that he's good enough to get his own show like we hear him sing every time people hear him sing except for the last number no one likes it so i mean he's got a fine voice i'm gonna like there's nothing wrong with jason schwartzman's singing voice i guess but like by the end there has been no indication that within the universe of this movie He's actually someone that would be successful as a solo singer. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. I guess the only thing, like, the only sort of arc I can see is that the movie resolves with him finally getting the chance to be the to be the whiz in the school play through complete coincidence. And um, basically, like, I guess, get over his childhood trauma or his adolescent trauma in high school and mm-hmm. uh, resolve that. And that's the only thing I can think of. But he, it didn't feel earned at all because the thing, like he didn't work for that. It just kind of happened to him. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really, you know, nothing about this movie felt earned. Yeah. And like, so I want to talk a little bit about The Wiz. I don't know how else to shoehorn this in here, but like, we talk, the very first movie we talked about on this show was Camp. And 
camp is all about musical theater kids, but every single musical that they choose to perform in camp that the directors choose for that movie is chosen for a specific reason. It's usually because it's, you know, wildly inappropriate for children at this camp to actually be performing that musical. Like they perform dream girls with an all white cast. They perform, um, what's it called? I think it's, uh, the one, the one that Anna Kendrick performs in, which is company that's about people in their fifties and in their like late fifties and up being miserable in Manhattan, I think. And mm-hmm. like, it's being performed by kids. So the point is they've chosen this uh, musical that, yeah, you can perform it as a child, but like realistically it's a very bizarre musical for kids to perform. But like the point being every single musical and play that they choose for camp has meaning they choose it for a reason and whether that joke lands or not it's there and someone like picked that because they put thought into it in the mark peace experience they performed the whiz which i don't know why they were thinking about that and they never address anything about the whiz it's just it just happens to be the musical they perform now if you don't know the whiz the whiz is traditionally an all-black musical, retelling the story of The Wizard of Oz. And, like, when I read the synopsis of this movie, that, like, Jason Schwartzman was the Tin Man, and then he ran out on his performance of The Wiz, I thought that part of the point of them doing The Wiz, or part of the point of that, was that he was the white kid, he was the only white kid in The Wiz or something. And, like, he got scared for some reason. But no, this performance of The Wiz is mostly white, but there's some black kids and they never address any of the themes of the whiz. It's just sort of playing in the background and it doesn't seem like they picked this for any reason. And so I just don't understand like why the whiz and not say West side story and equally racially charged musical or like Susical the musical or something, something that's not racially charged at all. Why did they pick that one? It could have been any musical Why specifically the Wiz? And if the answer is just because, then like, sure, that's about as much sense as it makes in the movie. But that's not satisfying because at that point, why use a musical at all? Yeah, I I, I feel like the way the movie was framed, I feel like it they wanted to play it as a joke, but like everything else, the joke didn't work, I guess. I don't know. That's the only reason I can actually think of. But yeah. And I also, uh, with Ben Stiller's character, I really like the theme of the one theme where people basically had to keep asking people around him if he actually thought they were good. Like Mark Peace is asking himself that for eight years. Anna Kendrick goes up to his secretary and says, hey, am I actually good? Because I'm in the chorus. He never casts me in uh, real, in like named roles despite, and I guess this is subtext at this point, despite the fact that she's probably sleeping with him. So like, on the one hand, I guess I respect his integrity to not be (laughs) bribed into giving people roles, but also like, what's the point of that arc if it doesn't go anywhere? Yeah. Once again, another example of the movie not going anywhere. So yeah, it's really not a great movie. But what did you think of Anna Kendrick? 
So uh, I've brought this line from her memoir up several times at this point. In her memoir, she says, Twilight kept her rent paid so that she could go star in indie movies for free. And this feels like one of those indie movies. She was fine in it. Uh, She basically played the same role as in Rocket Science, but not as big. And she did it better in Rocket Science. I don't know. She barely was in this movie. I didn't dislike her at all. I thought she was fine, but she didn't have nearly enough screen time considering she was third build. I'm like, I was kind of confused as to what was happening because she was only ever, I think with one exception early on, she was only ever shown at the school. And like, there's a lot of sets in this movie. She didn't have to be only at the school. We see her house, but she's not there. there, It's very strange. We also only see her with, with Mark Pease like maybe twice in the movie, I think. And they're I, not really long scenes, right? I think it's twice. And then in the end, they're in the same room, but they are not together. Yeah, which was just weird because, again, they were framed to, I guess they were framed to, you know, seem to have some kind of connection, but then we never see them for the whole movie. Even though, like, her plot line does interfere with Mark Pease's plot line. But again, they just never have to interact, so they don't, which was very weird. So then there's this scene at the end where they break up, and I'm like, I don't care because I've never seen them together. So this has no emotional effect on me. Yeah, the scene where they break up, I think, is supposed to be a big moment where, like, Mark Peace gets over his... basically, like, moves past his high school trauma because where he breaks up with his girlfriend who is in high school and then he like saves the high school musical and then he leaves so he's moved past high school now but like so she exists for in that scene in service of mark peace's weird arc but she has her own arc that like the movie doesn't devote it's enough time to because she has like a big emotional speech right before that where she says you know what I am good at singing and like decides, I guess, to move on in her own way. I don't understand. Every time I try to talk about this movie, as I am talking, I come up with more questions than I can answer as I'm saying them. Yeah. To be honest, this movie, it kind of feels like the director like wrote a movie about like his life, I guess. (laughs) Like, Maybe something traumatic happened, like he he messed up a play in his childhood and this feels like a movie where he's like, oh, this would be like a cute story to like talk about how someone gets over their hypothetical school play trauma or whatever. But it was like maybe only funny for him and not funny for anyone else, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anyways, I I, I don't know. Yeah, Anna Kendrick was was fine. I thought she was in, she was definitely in this movie. But <laughs> yeah. her role could have been played by anyone else. And she didn't really give necessarily a, a good performance. Honestly, I wish her role was played by someone else because then I would not have had to watch this. Yeah, that that's fair. This this is definitely I, not, it's not even like a, like, it, it's a bad movie in that it's just like so boring. Like there's no point to anything, even though nothing's like offensively bad. Yeah, it it really does just feel like, a movie that would play on TBS in the afternoon when they need to kill two and a half hours or something. Yeah, I agree. And like, I think reading on Wikipedia that the Writers Guild of America strike did affect this movie. Again, I don't know how much, 
but it feels like a lot. It feels like the, it was affected a lot because like the biggest problems we've mentioned are storylines like starting, but then not going anywhere. And I feel like whatever extra scenes they needed to write and shoot for this, those may have made those storylines work. I don't know that they would have, but they definitely needed extra scenes to make those storylines work. Yeah, exactly. Um, But maybe those extra scenes also wouldn't have added anything and just made the movie longer for no reason, which would have entirely made it worse too. I mean, it's not even a long movie. It's like an hour and 20 minutes, but it felt, it felt really long. Oh yeah. Really, really long. So yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. Just the Mark P's experience, not, not too great. In terms of movies that we've watched for this, this movie has made me reevaluate Happy Christmas a bit. And I think I need to go back and watch Happy Christmas again, because I think that this movie would be on the bottom of my list so far. Which one's Happy Christmas? Is that, that's the one where, wait, no, I'm thinking of Noel. Can't even remember Happy Noel was, um, well, you remember Noel, but Happy Christmas was the one that was mostly improvised. Oh, yeah. I don't know. This might, this is probably worse. I think this was. I, I think it is. Yeah. At least objectively, I think it is. Yeah. This is probably the worst movie. At least, like, the other one had, like, a reason for it, maybe, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Whereas this was just, like, they tried and it just wasn't good. I mean, the other one. Happy Christmas does have a lot going for it. I mean, we just spent an entire episode talking about it, and I think Dakota and Rachel put it better than I could, Mm -hmm. uh, put the merits of that movie way better than I could. But, like, Happy Christmas has very authentic performances because it's all improvised, and, like, it looks really pretty. There are, like, in the scenes where the characters actually have chemistry, it's, like, pretty good. And, like, I didn't... Overall, I still can't say that I loved that movie. And in fact, I probably would still say I very much disliked it. But this one was just like a different kind of bad. Yeah, it's just meh. I don't know why why they made it. Yeah, I, I don't know. What, what would you rate this movie? Well, I mean, I would rate it at the bottom of my list of Anna Kendrick movies for sure. As for Anna Kendrick's performance specifically... I'd put it like middle. It's just not, it's not very impactful. There's just not a lot going on. Maybe, maybe right above elsewhere because I may, maybe right below elsewhere. This actually might be pretty low on the list too. I'd say it's pretty low. Yeah. Yeah. And also, yeah, the bottom of the list. I think this is one of the worst. Yeah. And it might've been like the worst, one of the worst movies I've ever watched. Like seriously. <laughs> Dang. I, I, I feel High bad praise. saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a shame too, because I think that I could, I I couldn't make a better movie. I won't say that, but I think that like this movie could be good on paper. If you take like very specific elements, like I think the core cast of Ben Stiller, uh, Jason Schwartzman and Anna Kendrick can make a good movie about a high school burnout. Unfortunately, I think that's kind of where it ends because this is not that movie. And I don't think that movie will ever get made. But like whatever the director had in his head or whatever the writers had in their head when they were originally thinking of this movie, that movie could have been pretty okay, possibly. I don't know. But like the idea is not bad. The execution is astoundingly bad. Yes, I agree. There's something here. But we'll never know.
this was our shortest episode yet. We didn't even go to commercial, so I will put a commercial at the very end. But let's move on from what is definitely the worst movie we've talked about on this show to probably the best movie we will talk about on this show. Let's talk about Up in the Air next. co-director for the upcoming Academy of Death Races Festival 2022. The AODR Festival is an international online celebration of some of the year's best short films, as well as showcasing some great upcoming talent in LGBT filmmaking. Join us from January 14th to the 30th to see award-winning films from all around the world that have been shown at Cannes, South by Southwest, Tribeca, Sundance, London, Toronto, LA and more. You can grab your full festival pass now for only $15 over at AODR.net. Don't miss your opportunity to see the best short films of the year before the Oscars at AODR.net. 